Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. Man, you guys are looking great today. And of course, I, I, I'm really just glad to be home. I, I've been traveling a lot, so it's good to see all you guys. I, I'm going to be home, and you're going to see a lot of me, because we are starting a brand new series called History Maker that I have been cooking up for a long time, for the next couple of weeks. We're gonna have some fun. Uh, many of you guys know I, I, so it's called History Maker, this series, because uh, many of you guys know I, I'm kind of a nerd and I like to read a lot of church history books. I love studying church movements, mainly because I, I, I just, I love seeing how God just, you know, took a group of people, defies the odds, changes history in his favor. He's always doing it. And uh, I love studying it because I, I want to be a part of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm equally fascinated, though, by how movements die. I think that it's equally interesting to me because, you know, I also don't want that to happen either. I, I remember uh, there's a famous preacher in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, who said, uh, he said, denominations are the gravestones of past revivals. Now, I don't fully agree with this statement because it makes it sound like any denomination is, you know, dead. But I, I, I think there's a lot of denominations that are still alive. Most, in fact, are dying right now. In fact, actually, almost every mainline denomination at the current rate won't even exist within the next 15 years. I mean, it really is getting that, that it is imploding that fast. And I, I think it's interesting to pay attention to this because you're going to see mega shifts happen on the earth in the next decade or so that are going to that people are going to talk about for a long time. Now, really though what Spurgeon was trying to say is that that really every every denomination was a renewal. It was a revelation. It was a group of people that got a hold of certain truths and as a result God used them for that season. And I, I, I just, I do believe that, that many movements did start with a unique revelation of God. And, and it's important to study this stuff because here's why. In every generation, God does something new. He does something new, and I believe he's doing something new today. Unfortunately, a lot of times, the reason why people miss the new thing is precisely because they thought God was gonna repeat the old thing. And it doesn't look the same way. It doesn't feel the same way. The formatting changes. The packaging changes. Truth never changes, but the packaging does. You see, the Pharisees missed God coming to earth. The next big thing, uh, you know, they missed Christ's revival because it didn't look how they expected it to look, right? They had all these boxes that needed to be checked off, and a lot of those boxes weren't even wrong. They had just overemphasized these values to the exclusion of those values. And, and so then it begs the question, well, what, would, what will the next big movement look like, and how do, we, how do we find it? Well, for starters, Jesus made it very clear in his word, hey, just look for churches that are miraculously fruitful, okay? Let me give you an example of this. John 15, so, so Jesus is prepping the disciples. He's ready to, you know, die. He's preparing for the big change, getting them ready for transition. And so, you know, he's explaining some basic truths and he's like, hey, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, in, in, he, later he says, in my words, in my teachings, and I in you, look at this, you will what? Bear much fruit. 
Not just fruitful, you'll bear much fruit. It'll be abundantly fruitful. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Now, unfortunately, this is kind of a description of a lot of churches, a lot of withering churches right now. Churches are dying faster than ever. Um, and yet there's a lot of churches that are growing faster than ever. So what's going on there? Jesus said, look for things that are miraculously fruitful. So whenever, church, whenever I see a, a community of believers that are growing, are bearing unnatural fruit, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances, usually there's a divine reason for it, and it's this. They're abiding in Christ, and Christ is in them, okay? And, and again, notice that Jesus didn't just say they'd be fruitful. He says much fruit, abundant, plentiful, massive fruitfulness naturally will, will, fill, will, will flow out of a, a healthy church. Now, is it possible for something to grow in an unnatural way, like, like a tumor? Well, yeah, of course. So then how do we know the difference between abundant fruitfulness that's healthy versus unhealthy. Well, Jesus clarified that in the Beatitudes, okay? He preached a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And of course, he, he starts it out with this little passage called the Beatitudes. It's little attitudes that God blesses. And he says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, people that know they need more of God. They're, 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 they know they need more spirit. They know they need more heaven. And, and so they're blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What a weird contrast, meek. In other words, people that are not like you know, desperate for power, needing recognition, you know, wanting you know, massive influence, they're meek. They don't need it. But and, and ironically says, Jesus says, because they don't need it, they will inherit it. Okay, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, to be honest, when I first read these, um, I, I, this is going to sound like I'm critiquing Jesus, uh, and I don't mean it to come off this way, but I, they all felt like poetic cliches. You know, like when Jesus would say these things, they all kind of sounded like generic tropes that if I just, you know, I, and, and I know that it was maybe just the way that I was reading it. I love how uh, if you've seen the TV show The Chosen, which if you haven't, you have to. Just do it, for gosh sakes. How many times? No, no, for real. It, it's really incredible. I, I'm usually not a fan of any Christian movies, um, but this was actually really amazing. Uh, but I, I remember, like, I think it was like uh, episode eight at the end of season two, the show was depicting Jesus writing the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew the disciple. And of course, you know, he comes up to Matthew right before he wrote the Beatitudes and he's like, ah, I got it. I got it. I want the Beatitudes, these words, to be a map that shows people where to find me. And when he said it, something clicked in me, like a map that shows people where to find me. I thought that is exactly how we're supposed to read them, okay? The Beatitudes were not meant to be mere poetry. They're, they're behaviors that actually magnetize the Lord's presence, okay? So uh, think of it like this. Jesus was basically saying, hey, if you really want to find me, if you really want to know where I'm working on the earth, all you got to do is look for communities uh, of people who are humble, meek, who are thirsty, verses 3 through 6, who are helping the poor, not just the beautiful people, okay? Look for peace makers instead of finger pointers, 
verse 9. Boy, that'll just change everything from politics to what podcast you're listening to. Peacemakers versus finger pointers. Look for people that strive for holiness, verses 6 and 7, who don't need power because they're meek, verse 5, and therefore can be trusted with it. Look for people that are slightly irritating, though, verse 10, because they're just so, but only because they're so desperate for heaven. You know what I'm saying? Verse 11. Right? That's what persecution is, right? You either set people on fire or you burn people and they get irritated. Right? So, and don't miss the point. Jesus was saying, these are the attitudes that God blesses, that he lives and he dwells within. And, and, the, and the question for most of us, let's be honest, it's not do we want blessing. The question is, are we willing to live a lifestyle that is blessable? You know what I'm saying? Live in the blessings of God. And, and, and sometimes that can be easier said than done. I remember um, right after I had given my life to Christ, those of you who have gone through our newcomers um, event, uh, you know that I, I share my testimony of how I gave my life to Christ. And uh, I remember shortly after that, I went to college at the University of Minnesota. I moved here. It was actually my first real encounter with Minneapolis. And I, I moved here to go to the U of M for English and Hebrew, really practical things, you know what I'm saying? to set me up for a great future. And uh, I, it actually worked out for me for once. Come on, somebody. Anyway, I, I went, I was going to college, but I, I, if I was to describe my, my, my overall emotion while in college, it was this. I felt so behind. Because I had just given my life to Christ, I'm now hanging out with a lot of Christians for the first time in my life. And uh, I felt so behind. It felt like all these, you know, Christians who had, like, you know, they'd read the Bible five times already. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I don't even know any Bible verses, right? I mean, I didn't even know, I, I didn't even know basic stuff, basic Bible stories. I felt so, I, I felt overwhelmed with regret, you know, because I, I just felt behind. And I, I kind of felt like I had squandered my life up until that point, which is kind of ridiculous based on how young I was. But I, you know, it's like I squandered whatever little bit I had, right? But I, I, I just felt this rabid determination. I'm going to make up for lost time. I'm going to go so radical. I'm just going to try to think of every radical thing I could do for the Lord just so I could learn. I'm going to memorize two Bible passages a week. I'm going to fast 24-hour a day every single week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do all this crazy stuff. Some of it wasn't even healthy. I was just, you know, pendulum swinging, right? But I, I remember... Um, I, I, I would go and pray for at least an hour a day by the river flats by the Mississippi. I, I would go down by the little paths there and just kind of, um, you know, pray in the Holy Spirit and just, you know, pray. And then, and one of the prayers that I was just obsessed with was, God, would you just reveal your will? Would you reveal your will? I would pray it so often. And then after praying it for like, you know, 40 minutes, then I would stop and I would just listen to God speaking to my conscience and any impression that he, he gave me, I would write it down in my little prayer journal, my little notebook, and, and, and it was almost dysfunctional how many times I prayed for the will of the Lord. I mean, I wish I could go back and pastor myself and say, bro, chill. You know what I'm saying? But I was desperate. I was desperate. In fact, one of the prayers that I constantly prayed was, was God, when you start a movement in my generation, when you do it, would you allow me to see it and be at the heart of it? Would you allow me to see it? When you do a movement in my generation, because he's always doing something somewhere around the earth, and, and I'm like, God, I will move anywhere. I will do anything. If I have to move to Siberia, I'll move to Siberia. If I have to, I don't want to miss the move of God in my generation. I literally wrote that prayer out, put it on the ceiling above the loft over my bed. I, I, I was kind of a weird roommate in college. I, I, you know, I, I do 
think back sometimes and think, man, what did my roommate think about all these things? I mean, it was just, I was, I, I literally had this prayer above my loft and every morning I saw it, God, when you do a movement in my generation, would you allow me to see it and be at the forefront of it? And every night I would see it. And, and, and uh, but, but you have to understand, in my heart, this is what disturbed me, is I, I always thought about the Pharisees, how the Pharisees were a move of God. Most people don't even know it was a revival. And these were hardcores. They would memorize the entire five, first five books of the Bible. They prayed, they literally prayed and meditated for nine hours a day. I mean, come on, if anybody was like spiritual, you would have thought it would have been those guys, and yet they missed God. They could have sat at Christ's feet and learned from him, but they missed him, why? Because they overvalued certain things to the exclusion of others, and, and they missed it. And so, like, like I, I, this, this is one of those verses that just, just messed with me. Uh, Luke 19, 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. I wonder how many people he's saying this and weeping over today. I believe that he is still interceding for people. He's still interceding for us when we miss what truly would bring us peace. But he's praying this over God's people, the Israelites, the Jews in Jerusalem. But, but he says, but now, because this is right before he was gonna die. But now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Man, those words just sunk into my heart. God, will I recognize the time of you coming to me? Will I recognize the slightly irritating people that are trying to push me into your will or will I reject them as just mere irritating people? You know what I'm saying? Will I see it? Will I see it? God, let me see your move in my generation and let me be at the forefront of it and I, I'm not worthy of it, but God, would you call me to it? And, Verses like these terrified me because I, you have to understand, I had just given my life to Christ. I, had, I, I felt like I had been blind to Christ for years and now I see, and yet I had been living in one ditch only to discover, oh man, there's a religious ditch on the other side of the road that I can fall in? You mean this ditch isn't the only one I can fall off the other side of the road and, and get so blinded by weird religious stuff and by, by you know, Christian-y agendas that I actually miss God? I mean, how, how, how crazy is that? I just I had this fear, right? And finally, I remember reading this book called Experiencing God. It's kind of a classic, Henry Blackaby. And uh, inside of it, he gave this like surefire way. If you're worried about missing God, here's how you avoid that, right? He basically said, just find a, find, the gist is find a place where the miracles and blessings of God are undeniable and just go there. It's that simple, where the miracles and blessings of God are undeniable and just go there. And specifically, he actually said this. I'll show you a little quotation. He said, God is always at work around you and he is constantly inviting you to become involved in his activity. I love that expression. However, even though God is always inviting us to get involved in his activity, this is the kicker. When God invites you to join him in his work, you must make the major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing, okay? In other words, we join God. A lot of times we say, God, would you just bless what I'm doing? 
I got this agenda and I, I want to do this by the time I'm 29 and I want to make this level of income and I want to marry this type of person. I mean, we all have agendas for our lives and we just ask God to bless it, but actually it works in reverse, okay? You, you have to understand how the gospel works. God wants us to lay down our lives and then we get into what God is doing and then the blessings flow. It's like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, the true work of God is not gonna make you feel glorious, it's gonna make you meek. I don't know anyone who aspires to be meek. It's what makes the Beatitudes so counterintuitive is that a lot of the things that he, he blesses are not things that people aspire to. Uh, and so when, you know, when I was going to the U of M, I, I started asking God, well, what are the major adjustments that you would have for me? I, I actually prayed that one day when I was down by the river flats, what do you want me to do? And I sat down on a bench and I pulled out my prayer journal and it was like instant. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a very, very clear, specific uh, clarity on my conscience that was moving as fast as my pen could write. And it was this, Peter, if you really want my presence, you want to make adjustments, do these three things. Number one, I want you to lead a Bible study in your dormitory. And I want you just to invite, I want it to be primarily non-Christians. Get people that are open to God, but don't go to church. And I want you just to ask them questions and then you're just going to study my Bible together. And, and, and I want you just to, you know, do it right now, okay? And second, I want you to get painfully involved in ser serving a local pastor, and I do not want you to get involved in your area of passion. I want you to find out the, the biggest need for the church, the one that nobody else wants to do, and I want you to serve at, according to their greatest need, okay? Not according to your passions, but according to your greatest need. I want you to serve, okay? And then the third thing, and I'm like, God, how many things are you going to tell me? It was like that moment, kind of like, I was already overwhelmed by the first thing he said, right? And now he's like, number three? I mean, three. I want you to get a part-time job, and I want you to give all the money away, 100% of it. Whoa, hold on a minute. I am going into debt for college. I'm a poor college student. I need every dollar I got. You know what I'm saying? I can't even, you know, I, I, I'm like, what? You want me to give all the money away to missions? And, and, and to be honest, I was like, time out, God. How about some reasonable things? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like, like a Bible study? I mean, come on. You have to understand, I'm an introvert with moderate social anxiety. I will happily read a, a book about Jesus for Jesus, right? <laughs> but lead a Bible study for a bunch of randos in my dorm? Heck no. I hate people. I mean, come on, where are my introverts at? Represent somebody. Yeah, that's right. I love people, just not in person, okay? No, I, I do, I do, but it's just, you know, it's just, it just requires a little more energy out of me, right? And I was like, oh, but God, if I do that, then I won't have time to binge watch my favorite TV show. <sighs> okay, God, I'll, I'll do that. But man, you know, painfully involved in a local church, I don't even have a car, I, you know, that means I might have to take the bus, like, and then the, and then get a part-time job because I don't have a car. You know, that means I have to really, I either have to do, you know, I got to get a custodian job or I got to be working in the food service. I mean, God, you really want me to join Lunch Lady Land and give it all up to you? You know, it's just like, like really, and 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 God was like, that's exactly what I want you to do, right? I, I, and, and so immediately I was just like, ah. Oh. Okay, God, I, I felt like I kept saying, but, but, but seriously, God, really? 
Is that, you know, you, you ask God for input, and then when he speaks to you, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And, and I finally just sense the Holy Spirit just say, Peter, do you realize I could change everything in your life like this? I could literally open up doors for you out of nowhere, out of nothing. I could literally open the floodgates for your finances, for your opportunity. I could introduce you to any number of influencers with the snap of my fingers. Come on, seriously, Peter. Like, if you pray that you really want to be a part of a movement, then if that's true, then you need to stop thinking about your comfort zone and start thinking about instant obedience. Instant obedience. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Stop debating with God. And I just, okay. So guess what? I, I, I decided, let's get it done. Let's start that Bible study. Let's, I got that food service job. And, and, and I'm just telling you, some of these things, they were so counterintuitive, and yet they set all sorts of things into motion that I could have never done on my own, okay? Impossible opportunities started spinning out of all this. For example, okay, so I got the, I got the job cleaning pots and pans, right? And of course, you know, and they, they were pretty affirming of me. They were like, wow, Peter, I've never seen anyone clean pots and pans so thoroughly as you do. And I'm like, really? Really? I think they were trying to tell me that I was slow, uh, but I, I took it as a compliment, right? Like, I'm really amazing at this. I told my mom, hey, mom, they said this. And they're like, wow. Uh, you know, like, I, again, so uh, I, and, and, and I, got, I got promoted, though, to salad bar guy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Next level, which is why to this day, when people like grab like the tomatoes and then they roll, it's like, and they don't pick it up. Like, come on, somebody has to clean that. <laughs> don't drip salad dressing all over everything. Come on, somebody, right? So I, I got promoted. I kept it really clean and amazing. And then guess what, man? I got the ultimate promotion, sub sandwich guy. <laughs> Heck, I was the rising star of Comstock Hall's food service department. Nobody had ever seen such a meteoric rise. <laughs> and of course, I, I, I met a lot of people on that job. I invited so many of them to my Bible study and we packed like 25 people into that dorm. I mean, hardly a single one of them went to church. And uh, I didn't even know how to answer half their questions. They would ask me really, really, really loaded questions. And I'd be like, I have no idea, but let's find out this week. And let's study our Bibles and come back. And, and literally, that's what it was. it was. It was total chaos. And of course, all of my money went to missions. I decided to actually devote my summers in between college to go on the mission field. And so I, I spent my first summer after my freshman year, I went to a, serve at a church in Ghana, West Africa uh, for the whole summer. And then the next summer, I, I devoted my life to uh, a church in Bangkok, Thailand. And of course, both of these churches were just overflowing with revival. I mean, the church in Thailand was doing like nine services in a row. I mean, Wow, Night, like just boom, 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 boom. You know, by service seven, I was kind of delirious and didn't even know what was happening. And uh, it was like Christmas services here at Substance. But I, I just, but every week it was delightful, right? No, but it, seriously, it was actually revival because that's where I saw my first um, blind woman got healed. I, I saw somebody's leg grow out in front of my eyes. I saw a demonic deliverance that I had never seen before. I mean, I felt like I had a front row seat to models of church that were truly under undeniably supernatural. They weren't philosophical. They weren't just some dude giving another, you know, interesting talk. It was, 
It was supernatural, and I, I felt like I got to see something that, that a lot of people didn't get to see. And so I remember when I came back to the University of Minnesota, my heart just kept gravitating more and more to this idea of, of ministry. And, and there, was a, there was a nationally known pastor who lived about three hours away from, from the Twin Cities who had heard about my Bible study. Uh, uh, he was from my hometown. It wasn't that my Bible study was that well-known, but it was just somebody, you know, probably my mom or somebody told him about it. And uh, he, he, he'd heard about, you know, oh, you're interested in Hebrew and your, your, your missions experiences. He's like, hey, Peter, how about you just come um, to Wisconsin and just become our youth pastor, which was like, huh? Like, what? Like a youth pastor? I mean, you have to understand, at that time, I had zero desire for youth ministry. Again, I hate people. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, especially, I mean, teenagers? Like I, I'm, I'm, like, I was only interested in two things at the time, just being fully honest. It was music producing and like nerdy things like Bible translation. And I, I just, in my mind, I was like, teenagers? Like that's like, a, it was like, it's like an alien group of people. I thought, I'm not good with teenagers. At least that's what I thought in my head. And, and, um, and, and it's funny to think I actually said no to that pastor three times. Now, looking back, I'm like, what an idiot I was. This guy was giving me an opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, he, he could have opened all sorts of doors for me. And yet I said no three times. But every time I said no, he goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear an answer yet. Just, just pray about it longer. It really, I think no matter how many times I said no, he probably would have said, no, just keep praying until, I, until you say yes, right? So finally, I, I prayed about it, and I'm like, what the heck, okay, maybe I'll do three. You have to understand, though, the last thing I wanted to do was move back to the small town because, you know, I had escaped the small town. You know what I'm saying? This was like my life ambition to get out of small town and small town thinking and people. And I just, people in small towns don't get me. They're just, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just felt like, no, but, but, but big cities, they get me. If, if moving back to a small town, I felt like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Come on, anybody remember that? You know, just, just, just wait a minute there, Uncle Billy. I'm George Bailey. I want to see the world. You know, like, I, I just wanted to, I didn't want to, I, I knew it was like, oh, I don't want to go back to Bedford Falls, so to speak, right? And now it's just like, Oh, but I kept thinking about Henry Blackaby's statement. When God invites you to, to join him in his work, you've got to make major adjustments. And sometimes that means <sighs> trusting the Lord that, that this is the smartest thing. I knew that God wanted me to get around a mentor just like this guy. And, of course, I, I finally thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I, actually, I, I said, I'll, I'll give you three months. I told the pastor, I will move there for three months I'll leave all my stuff up here, and it'll be just like Africa and Thailand. And then after three months, I'll, I'll uh, you know, of course, after three months, I knew that God was at work. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you one more year, but only one. And then one year later, all right, I'll give you one more year, you know, nine years later, right? I mean, I stayed there and uh, for, for the better half of a decade. And, and uh you know, over time, our, our, so the lead pastor that I went there to get mentored by, he went and planted another location that ended up blowing up to about 5,000 members in two years. It was, at the time, one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And of course, the lead pastor asked me if I would take over the original campus. And you have to understand, they had a K through 12 Christian school, and I'm 24 years old, okay? So this was like a, a kind of a big promotion for me uh, with my level of experience. And 
and uh, it was pretty crazy. But really the craziest part of the ride was just getting started. Our, our founding pastor, who was super talented, who launched this you know, other location, he, he was caught having an affair. And then here I am as now as the 25-year-old teaching pastor you know, I'm stuck in the middle of lawsuits. I'm stuck in the middle of the weirdest board fights you've ever seen. I just saw, I had a front row seat to all sorts of weirdness, okay? And, and, and the Lord, you know what? Looking back, I can actually see the hand of the Lord in it, as traumatic as it was. As traumatic as it was, I can see what the Lord was actually doing in my life. You know, come on, some people are blessings and other people are lessons, Okay, either way, you can learn from them. And, and I felt like the Lord was actually saying, Peter, what I'm doing is I'm giving you an accelerated process of wisdom. An accelerated process of wisdom, okay? And I, I just, listen to me. Some of you, are, you're here today, and I'm saying this because uh, you're whining at God because of your trials, and yet God would say to you, listen to me. Your trials are the very thing that are accelerating your dream, okay? And think about it. When do we grow the most? When we're comfortable? Heck no. It's never when we're comfortable. So don't get mad at God when he actually is helping you accelerate your dreams. Quite often, your current crisis is your next month's key to unlock that unlockable door. And some of you, you need to just embrace the fact that God does this accelerated learning in some of our lives, even though it means hardship. And, and, and I, I felt like I, I had the privilege of getting accelerated learning. And of course, you know how it is. The moment I started getting comfortable again, and I started getting comfortable, finally the church started getting fun, pastoring started getting fun, everything was starting to happen well. I mean, we were two years from paying off all of our property, we had 75 acres of land, I mean, uh, I had free tuition for my kids at our K through 12, we now have a Bible school, I mean, I, this is kind of an end destination uh, job, and of course, right there in that moment, all of a sudden, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit whispering inconvenient things to my heart again, Peter, I want you to resign it all and move to the Twin Cities. Whoa, God, I just got comfortable here. Like, come on, for real? Like, my, my family is here. All, I mean, like, like, God, I am like literally two years out from being able to hire all my friends and live a very fun life. Come on. Like, and then beside, and, I, and it was like, and it was very, very clear, uh, move to the Twin Cities, okay? And I, I immediately, I looked at the Twin Cities housing market and I kind of freaked out, like, what? You know, compared to where we were, it was like, you know, 100 grand more for a massive downgrade in house. I'm like, God, how is that the next level for me? Like, for real? And then, and then don't you, like, God, as if God didn't know this, God, don't you understand, like, less than 1% of church plants survived the decade? And, of course, right at that time, I was getting all these really large job offers to be, like, a teaching pastor in another uh, church. There were all these, you know, boomer pastors that were wanting an heir apparent and, and things like that. And I, I'm like, God, if you want me to move, how about you let me move to one of those places where I can get a really nice salary? And, like, I mean, like, I, I'm just debating. With God, I, 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 and and then you know what? The Lord actually just made it clear to me. Yeah, Peter, you can do that. You know what? Sure, I actually love you enough. I'll bless you if you want to go move to that church. But guess what? Ten years from now, you're gonna obey me. You're gonna eventually resign and do what I told you to do. 
eventually, because your soul finds rest in me and my plan. So just like, yeah, I'll bless you if you wanna waste 10 years, but 10 years from now, you're gonna wish. You're gonna have the very church that you're wanting to run away to right now. And I, I just remember in that moment, I'm like, God, are you ever concerned about my comfort zone? Because right now, <laughs> you know? And so we, we went into a season of fasting and prayer. We talked to all of our mentors. We got wisdom. We got impartation. We got confirmation. We started the transition. It took me, I took about nine months to try to find a replacement for myself. So we, I mean, literally, we interviewed about 70-some people for my job and uh, did the transition and then, you know, at some point I needed to start fundraising for what we were gonna do, where we were gonna move. And, uh, you know, I have two young kids at the time. My son wasn't born yet. And uh, I'll never forget, we were about one or two months away from moving and the fundraising was going horribly. I mean, which is, you know, shocker, an introverted, an introvert with moderate anxiety is not gonna be a good fundraiser. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was terrible at it. And of course, you know, literally, <laughs> I, we, here we were only like a month or two away from launching and only $12,000 had come in, okay? Just to give you, and most of that was from my grandma, which is not a good sign, right? Because grandma will believe in you no matter what, right? So if she calls you, uh, you know, beautiful, it doesn't make you a supermodel, but right? I, I just, I'm freaking out, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I've, I only have 12 grand and, and the sound system alone is gonna cost 20, okay? With the trailer, because I gotta have a sound system and a trailer, uh, you know, at least, you know, to do what I have in my heart, right? And so I thought, even if I lived at poverty level, you know, I still, you know, 25,000 for a family of four, right? That still meant I needed to raise 30 grand in one month just to live at poverty level in the Twin Cities with my family of four. I mean, I'm freaking out. I'm like, God, did I make a mistake? And, you know, are you, are you asking me to be bivocational, which is really weird at that season of my life with all these different job offers? And, and, and it, of course, in that moment, you would have thought God would have been like, yes, Peter, I just was testing you. Please go accept one of those really fancy jobs. And instead, the Lord says, Peter, I want you to sow $3,000 into another church planter and you will reap 10 times the amount very soon. And I'm like, I rebuke that thought. That is not the Lord. I have $12,000. I'm not gonna give three of them to some other church planter. I mean, I am the church planter who is in need. Can I just give it to myself? Come on, like God. And, and Peter, it, it was almost like the Lord was like, Peter, if you don't expect a harvest, if you're not sowing a seed. And so it was like, you know, I had already done that a little debate with God enough and I, I, where I knew it doesn't, you don't ever win an argument with the Lord. So I, I just, you know, God, it was just really clear. Peter, if you can't trust me here, how do you expect anything of this church plant to go well? I mean, think about it. It's why Jesus even said in, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, if you can't even trust God with your first fruits, don't, don't think you actually trust God with your eternal soul, which is of infinitely greater value. If you can't even trust God with your bag of peanut M&Ms, how are you gonna be able to trust God with your invaluable eternal soul? You can't serve two masters. And you know, sometimes if, if money is what it takes to reveal where our faith is really at, and in that moment, I'm like, but God, I mean, wh why, why this? It's just, oh, 
Like, and, and, and I, I was asking God, why 10%? And of course, I already knew the answer to that because all throughout the Bible, the number 10, if you ever see the number 10 in the scripture, usually it is related to testing of our hearts, okay? What do I mean by that? All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the number 10 equals testing. When God wanted to, uh, you know, give us commandments, how many commandments did he give us? The 10 commandments, right? God, when God tested Pharaoh's heart, you know, in the Old Testament, how many plagues did he send? He sent 10 plagues. How many times did God test the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness? The Bible says 10 times. How many times were Jacob's wages changed in the book of Genesis? 10 times. How many days was Daniel tested? 10 days. In Matthew 25, how many virgins were tested to see if they were prepared for the, the return of the bridegroom, the return of Christ? 10 virgins. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2.10? 10 days. How many lepers were healed to test and see if they would come back and give thanks to Jesus in Luke 17? 10. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. I was testing you. Hey, the first service, they just like were, they just all shouted 10. It was like they were suckers. I got all of y'all. Oh, it's so fun. Ah. No, for real though, here, here's the point. Te the number 10 has always been um, related to testing. And it's not a surprise that God even chose 10%, the tithe is the test of our hearts, right? And in my case, it was not tithing because if it was, then God would have to give me 30 grand and then I'd give him three back, right? But I, I, in my case, this was old fashioned challenge. Hey, Peter, you want, <laughs> you want 10 times the response? Just, you gotta plant a seed. And, and I'm not going to lie, church, I was terrified to obey. And I, but I, I did it thinking, you know what, might as well go all in, right? Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe somebody will clean up my mess with me someday, but I'm going to go all in. And, but i got to be honest with you, I don't think I, over the next two months, I don't think I went five minutes without a total panic attack. I was freaking out every minute of every day. The moment I thought about reality, I was worried. Come on, some of you, you know what that feels like because that's you right now. I think we all go through moments where fear just overwhelms us. I've never been more uncomfortable in my life. Every time I looked at Carolyn and she looked at me, we laugh cried. You know what that is? It's where you don't know whether or not to weep or laugh, right? And it's really weird because you sound like a donkey dying. <laughs> You know, like, you just don't even know. I can't decide. Am I laughing or am I crying? That was how I felt in that season. What if this doesn't work? What if God doesn't come through? Well, get this. Over those next two months, the most crazy set of circumstances suddenly emerged. I, I, I can't make this up, church. I, I was just telling a pastor in Colorado, man, I really need prayer. This fundraising thing, I'm terrible at it. And I, I just, all I want to do is ministry. I just want to plant a life-giving church. And he goes, well, you know what? You need to meet my friend in Alabama. I have a friend named Chris Hodges who just planted a church. And, and he's a really great guy. He, he, know, he would know how to help you. So I called up Chris. I'm just like cold calling Chris. You know, like, hey, Chris, can you help me? And Chris was like, you know what? Peter, you need to meet my father-in-law, Billy Hornsby. He lives in, in, in South Carolina. He just started an organization called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, the church planning organization. And, uh, and long story short, guess what? Billy ended up funding our church, and he gave, take a shocking amount, you know, guess what he actually gave for my salary? He wrote out a check for 30 grand, 
And then, you know, exactly 10 times what I had given to the church planner. And then he followed it up with a total of $105,000 for me to launch. And the rest is history. We were the 15th church that this organization planted. And it was just, you know, kind of a, it, it's kind of a cool story. I mean, but what are the odds, right? I mean, at the time, you have to understand, ARC was a brand new organization. They'd only launched like a couple you know, five churches uh, when I had found them. They didn't even have a website, right? So I didn't even know if they were going to be around uh, for very long, right? I mean, I, I, I didn't even know if they would exist 10 years from now, but none of us had any idea what the Lord was about to do. Even, so I was Ark Church Plant number 15. Well, guess what? The first thousand churches that Ark planted ended up growing to become the, the most influential churches in the United States and around the world. I mean, many of them are some of the largest churches in the United States in just a decade, I mean, really, it turned into a, a global movement really, really fast, and, and just because I happened to be at the right place, at the right time, around the right people, they asked me, hey, Peter, would you go and help launch this startup fund over in China? And I said, uh, okay, I'll do it. I'm not really a fan of Chinese food, but okay. Uh, and then they asked me, hey, would you go to Ireland? Now, that's a little easier, okay, right? I'll, but I did it. So then we, we launched ARC Ireland, and then ARC Netherlands, and then ARC South Africa, and then ARC, like, it, it just started spinning out all over the place. Next thing you know, and, and I just helped do UK and Germany, you know? I'll be talking a little bit more about that tonight. Uh, but uh, now it, it's, it's Australia. Now it's in Pakistan. It literally turned into one of the biggest global movements in the last 50 years. And all of a sudden, I remembered that little prayer I used to pray back in my dormitory, that little prayer over my loft that I kept asking God to fulfill. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, for starters, I want to just tell you that God is an amazing business partner. If you're looking for a business partner, he's really amazing. He can open doors that nobody else can. I mean, come on, what are the odds? I call a dude in Colorado who leads me to a guy in Alabama, who leads me to a guy in South Carolina, who gives the exact amount that I've been trusting the Lord for. I mean, come on. If those of you who are in business, you know that you can have the right idea. If you really want to succeed, you got to have the right idea at the right time in the right market in the right area and the right economy with the right you know, business partners. If any one of those things is off, you can come out with the off-brand iPhone that nobody wants to buy. It still took a, a huge amount of work to get there, but now it's nothing. You see, of all the things that we can control, there are far more that we cannot control, but guess who can control it all? That's why the most important relationship is this one, and the most important element to maintain that relationship is something called faith and trust. But listen, if we're not good at flexing that faith muscle, we're never gonna have the relationship that really will result in, in, in the crazy things that he wants to do in your life. And so, you know, I, I keep thinking about how, you know, why would we not want God on our side? Church, why would we not? Well, I'll tell you why, because he'll regularly ask you to sacrifice your comfort zone for the kingdom zone. That's why. And, and that's uncomfortable, but every time I do, I end up falling into a crazy move of God that I am not smart enough to get into or even capable enough to be a, a, a leader in. You know what I'm saying? You see, I, I think it, it leads me to a simple prayer that I've learned to pray over the years, and I wanna just teach you, I wanna end with this, teach you how to pray a simple little prayer. It's a prayer that I now, I, I kinda, I, I call it my history-making prayer, and it, it kinda goes, it, this is how it goes, okay? Lord, what big adjustment do I need to make in order to join what you are doing? Ultimately, 
If you want to be a history maker, you got to stop worrying about history and about influence and about money. you got to be able to give it all away, not, not care about it, so that God can actually trust you with it, okay? What, do I need to, what sacrifices do I need to make in order to join what you are doing? A lot of people, they pray, God, would you just bless what I'm doing? In other words, we never actually sacrifice our agenda, which is actually the problem, is that actually that's the very thing that has to die in order for us to really be used by the Lord. And, and, and here's why God doesn't want to just bless what you're doing. You know, it's because what he wants for you is infinitely greater than what you want for you. Are you hearing me? He doesn't want to bless what you are doing because what he wants to do in your life is infinitely bigger. It's infinitely more fun and ultimately more fulfilling for you if you would just make those adjustments with your time, money, and priorities. And so here's where we're actually going to go over the next couple weeks in this series. Over the last 10 years, obviously, I've gotten to, to speak in a lot of different churches. I was just even thinking, last three months alone, um, you know, our, our leadership team, we've been South Africa, England, Germany, Ireland coming up, Jacksonville, Florida, Memphis, Nashville, Fort Lauderdale, Austin, Birmingham. We're just talking about the last three months. I've gotten to pop the hood on a lot of churches. I've seen a lot of churches. I've seen good. I've seen bad. I've seen ugly. I've seen, wow, I could learn from this person. And wow, I can help that person. You know what I'm saying? And yet what I've noticed in regards to the most fruitful churches the John 15 kinds of churches, the ones that are defying the odds, thriving in the desert. I've noticed no matter where they are on planet Earth, they almost always have the same ingredients in common. And I started writing them down in a notebook every time I can learn something. And I went back and started reflecting on that journal. And shockingly, it was almost like these seven themes just stuck out to me and just like punched me in the gut. And I realized, oh, listen, really almost all history-making churches do these same things. And, and I'm going to share them with you over the next coming weeks. And, and I, I prom- these are not just my opinions. These are actually, there's a huge amount of re- uh, research-driven stats that I think are going to fundamentally alter the way that you see uh, evangelism, discipleship, and church itself. And, and I'm going to be bringing up a lot of different um, cool stories from church history that, that affirm a lot of this. But my, my goal in this series is not to get philosophical about church. Rather, it's, it's that after I share all of these things, what I want to do is I want to share the great scary vision that the Lord has put on my heart for the next seven years, the new whisper that God has whispered into my soul that makes me stinking uncomfortable. And then I want to either invite you into that discomfort with me or not. You can choose, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but a, lot of these, a lot of these, the vision that I want to share with you, it's not going to make sense until you hear some of these seven things that I'm going to unpack over the, the coming weeks. And after each one of these weeks, we're going to repray the History Maker prayer. But every week it's going to feel different. Why? Because it's going to take on new meaning. The adjustment is going to take on a new meaning based on the thing that we are talking about. And, uh, but but I'll, I'll end with this. I, I just if I could summarize all these stories today. I, I've never regretted any of the sacrifices I've made for the Lord. But you know what I do regret are all the delays, the sacrifices that I was scared to make. And I just want to end by asking a simple question, and it's this. What is that for you? What is the Lord nudging you to do? Just close your eyes for a second. Maybe for you it's time to prune that schedule. The Lord's calling you to 
be a part of leadership more, a small group. Others, it's, hey, you know what, loved one, it's time to prune that one habit and start a new one. And still others of you, you're here and you know, if you were really honest, you're in the shallow waters of Christianity and, and, and the Lord's like, hey, it's time to dive into the deep. Would you trust me? Right now, God is wanting to be a partner with you if you're willing to sacrifice comfort zone and walk into the kingdom zone. Lord, do that with every person here. We cannot afford to squander our lives and I know you have more for us and I know that what that more is, it's beautiful, it's scary, it's fulfilling and it's delightful and filled with miracles and I pray that every single person here today would experience those miracles and maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm new to this whole God thing. Maybe you've never even prayed to receive Christ. Just as a simple little moment here, let's all of us rededicate our lives to the Lord just by repeating this after me. Say this, say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. Love you guys.